0: Hey, good morning. It's good to be back with you. Let me give you a little roadmap about where we're headed. This morning, we're going to finish up this series. Uh, Four weeks, we've been working on the cycle of grace. One last tip of the hat to Pastor Trevor Hudson, who I heard present the material that originally uh, came from the uh, research of uh, Frank Lake and Emil Bruner many years ago, uh, as they recognized the, the The challenges that were faced by um, uh, missionaries as they were going out into the field and then encountering the struggle and, and 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 having difficulty maintaining that passion and and so they dug into the life of Jesus to find what was it that enabled jesus to to go start to finish in his ministry and never seem to um, Lose that passion, that energy, that momentum. And so that's what we've been working on. We hopefully have gotten a concept of the idea that uh, this cycle of grace is the way God designed it to work. We started by looking at this whole concept of acceptance, uh, affirmation that comes from the Father to us. That's foundational. From there, then, it's, it's an infusion of God's grace to us that we begin to respond to, um, and, and we, we, we respond to that invitation to, to know Him and to be in relationship with Him, and we, we sustain that by, by spending time and investing. It's that side of the cycle of grace that is very much about uh, being. It's, it's not very visible. It's not necessarily public. It's something that's happening between you and your heavenly father as he communicates to you his blessing, and you respond to that by desiring to, to engage with him and to be in relationship with him. Then you noticed last week it shifted because that grace... Of being that we experience is not going to stay there. It's going to find expression. It's going to make its way out. And that's where we looked at last week's significance and recognized that God had uniquely invested in each one of us as part of His family, a unique contribution to be made to His kingdom and an unfolding in the world today as He's about His work. Now, Once we are aware of that place of significance, then we enter into this last realm. Now, Jesus knew His place of significance. He came to preach and teach and to manifest God's power to authenticate that teaching and preaching, and ultimately, all of that combined would take Him to the cross and ultimately His resurrection. So what we're going to look at this morning are a few of the specific details of, of that manifestation of, of Jesus' fruitfulness, all right? Here is where we've moved from, again, the being to the doing. Now, now just one little reminder, we're sort of hardwired to want to do this backwards. We, we want to do in order to earn our being we want to perform in order to secure our place with him that's of the flesh it needs to be operating the other way around that we start with our being and right relationship with him and that being will produce the doing that is the flow of the spirit alright so You have your being, your relationship with God intact. You're aware of His pleasure, His love for you. You respond to that initiative, which is how it always works with us and God. He is always the one of taking the initiative and reaching out to us. And as we sense that initiative on God's part, we respond to it. So acceptance and we respond with sustenance. Then then the significance again is God's initiative. He has invested that uniqueness in us and then we begin to respond to that awareness in obedience. We begin to embrace that special place that he has designed for us and we experience fruitfulness which is the last of the stages and the output really starts to blossom and roll then. Okay, let's think about how Jesus was fruitful. It, 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 it was really, it, it came across, Jesus was fruitful in so very many ways, but what I was struck by as I just leafed through the pages of the gospel was how, how from a contemporary perspective, if we had been there to witness it, there were really a lot of very unexpected realms in which that happened Jesus healed many culturally undesirable people. You know, he didn't go to the cultural elites of the day and say, hey, what are what are the problems you have? Let me solve them. No, when Jesus began to unleash his power uh, for healing, it was with undesirable sorts of people. Lepers, for instance. Lepers who were completely ostracized by the culture of that day, Jesus delighted to touch them. You just didn't touch a leper, but Jesus did, and they would be healed. The lame and the blind, in that day, there was not the same sort of sensitivity to the challenges that they faced. Back in that day, the only worth that the lame or the blind had was to maybe make some contribution to their own survival by begging. But Jesus never missed them. He saw them. He saw that they could, could walk again, that they could see. Unexpected. The demonized who were often feared... For instance, the legion, you remember, who had become so intimidating that finally he fled and lived among the tombs. They couldn't even bind him and keep him under control. He lived among the tombs, scared to death they were of him. And yet after Jesus showed up, you remember, there he was sitting in his bright mind. I love that image. You know, to one degree or another, we've all had that experience once we come to Jesus, we are in our right mind like we've never known our right mind. (laughs) The demonized scared people. There was a woman that the doctors couldn't help. Remember? Twelve long years. She'd spent everything she had trying to find healing through the means of humanity, the doctor's. So desperate she was that she thought, if I could just sneak through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. Very unexpected. But Jesus knew that flow of power that had left him and affirmed her faith. She was healed. Incredible moment. How about the man who had been abandoned for years and years and years By the pool of proverbial stirring waters, Jesus asked him a great question. You remember? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I wonder if he doesn't ask us that question sometimes. Are you content in the brokenness that you're continuing to experience and that is dominating your life because it's known and it's comfortable in spite of its dysfunction if you put your faith in me this can all be different it doesn't have to be this way that man walked out of that place that day highly unexpected he'd been there for decades jesus healed many undesirables people that the culture had long sense, quit seeing. But that was the fruitfulness that Jesus bore. I think it's important for us to not try to put our expectations of how it is that Jesus is going to create fruit through us. We just have to make ourselves available to Him, being first, recognize our significance, and then let the fruit flow that He wants to produce through us. We don't control that. He'll He'll produce that fruit through us. It's unexpected. You never saw that coming. Oh, and another one. He embraced foreigners. You see, the Jews had a little problem with, with, with this whole concept that they were the people, the chosen people of God. You know, they could trace themselves all the way back to Abraham, probably past that, all the way back to Adam. That stuff really mattered. And everybody else just didn't measure up. There was a Syrophoenician woman that came to Jesus. Her daughter had an unclean spirit. Matthew 15 refers to her as a Canaanite. That's kind of a derogatory term in that day. And she wanted this child healed and Jesus said, well, look, We first we're feeding the children the bread and the, and, and, and the dogs don't get it. Which, yikes, that kind of seems, that seems pretty tough. But she didn't miss a beat and responded, oh, yes, she said, you're absolutely right. But the dogs sit under the table and get the crumbs and Jesus said, okay, then, your daughter's fine. Faith unexpected to a Gentile. You see, the kingdom hadn't opened to the Gentiles just exactly yet. That was coming later. Oh, and the Samaritan woman. You know the Jews. You know that portion of it. The Jews would travel all the way around. They'd go out across the Jordan so as not to have to go through Samaria. But Jesus didn't conform to conventional thinking, and he and the disciples right through Samaria stopped at the well in the heat of the day, and there was the, the woman. She was shocked. She was shocked when Jesus spoke to her, and even more so as the conversation unfolded and, and, and she, she learned that Jesus had insight into her that she, she didn't know where that information had come from. And before it was over, she'd introduced the entire community to Jesus. Unexpected fruit. Who saw that coming? But it was, it was what God had prepared for his son. He was the friend of sinners. Now, we, we, we've turned that into songs and all kinds of cool little things, right? Right? But I'm telling you what, when, when the Pharisees called Jesus a friend of sinners, that was a slam. Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. And can I, can I encourage you that so should we? If we aren't careful... We isolate ourselves into a a bubble of those who look like us and act like us and think like us and talk like us. And nobody would, nobody would mistake us for a friend of sinners. Listen, that's where Jesus bore all his fruit. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was among them all the time. And and catch this, they loved to be with him. Any sinners love to hang out with you? I mean, notorious, notorious riffraff? Or do we, do we come across holier than thou and condemning to them, judgmental? Now, I know this is a, this is a fine line to walk here, because truth is not going to change truth is truth God has revealed it to us we have it but Jesus was full of grace and truth and because he was filled with both sinners loved to hang out with Jesus and he was known as their friend that ought to characterize us too We shouldn't just have all, you know, all Christian friends. We we we've got to be salt and light. He was a friend of sinners, tax collectors like Zacchaeus, were transformed when Jesus invited Himself to his house. He had a tax collector among the twelve. Don't you know that would have been some interesting discussion between Simon the Zealot, who was a, a political right-winger, and, and, and Matthew, who was a sellout to the Romans? <laughs> those were some interesting campfire conversations. Jesus crossed those lines. He was a friend of sinners. Can you imagine what it was like when he was eating in the home of Simon the Pharisee? When a woman of questionable reputation, in all likelihood, prostitute, came in and washed his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair. The image of that makes me uncomfortable. You know, I don't want, ladies, I, I, God bless you, but I don't want you... Crying on my feet and wiping my, I don't, that's going to make, I'm going to say, use a little personal space here, please. But that was was an expression of faith on the part of that woman and changed her life. It was Simon the Pharisee who bristled up and said, if he knew who that was, he wouldn't want her touching him. Man, Jesus bore fruit in unexpected places. It's like, wow. Who saw that coming? He was into the powerless. Widows and and children. You know, they had a, they had a widow problem because in a in a, a, a culture of, of hand-to-hand warfare, there were lots of widows. <laughs> because the men died a lot. And so widows and orphans, that's why God was constantly taking up. You read through the Old Covenant, God was often calling for us to defend them. Jesus embraced that. One of my favorite examples of that is, as he and the guys were coming along to to. The little city of Nain, which is no place in particular, but they met a funeral procession, and there was a widow who had lost her only son. You want to talk about desperation? It's bad enough to be a widow, but when you lose your son, your only son. So Jesus just undid that with one little act of raising that boy from the dead. That would have been a party on the way home, wouldn't it? Can you imagine the 180 of emotion that that old gal went through? (laughs) Makes me laugh. The powerless Jesus embraced. But he knew how to work on the other end of the spectrum, too. And the powerful, again, in some unexpected places. You remember the Roman centurion? I mean, the... To be a Roman was, was to be part of the, the, the ruling force of the world in that day, and a centurion was a soldier of, of authority, and yet he recognized something special about going on with Jesus here, and so when he had a slave that was dying, he came to Jesus and asked him to intervene and said, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house and Jesus said, wow, I've hardly ever seen faith like this in all of Israel. Raise that slave up. The powerful encountered Jesus as well. Oh, and the synagogue official's daughter. You know... This is fairly early, Mark chapter 5, but Jesus had already irritated the synagogue leaders, and yet when push came to shove, this synagogue leader, Jairus, whose daughter was dying and ultimately did die before Jesus got there, he was willing to seek Jesus out because he knew what was going on. Jesus healed that man's daughter. Even the Pharisees or some of them. Remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3 came to Jesus asking questions. He was interested. And Jesus engaged him in conversation. We don't know exactly when it happened, but by the time we get to the end of Jesus' ministry, and once Jesus had died, Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, came and sought the body. Nicodemus had gone all in with Jesus. He was committed. You see, it wasn't just the powerless, but it was the powerful that encountered Jesus as well. Pharisees. Jesus didn't always hammer on the Pharisees, by the way. Sometimes we get that impression. No, early on, Jesus continued to try to engage them. Some of his best-told or best-remembered stories... He was trying to reach the Pharisees with those stories. The story of the Good Samaritan was an attempt to help the Pharisees see their own self-righteousness. The the, the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the the lost son, those were attempts to, to reach the Pharisees. Now, by the time, before he was finished, he hammered on them pretty hard in Matthew, what, chapter 23, but that's pretty much it. The rest of the time, he was continuing to try to reach even the powerful. Jesus was fruitful, folks. And it flowed from his being in that right place with the Father. He had experienced God's declaration of acceptance more than once. He had responded to that invitation by sustaining that intimate connection with his Father. He knew his place of significance, and grace came flowing out through him in all kinds of fruit and unexpected places. Really didn't always see it coming, but oh, how diverse it was and how beautiful it was to witness And the same should be true for us as well. As we are aware of God's initiative in our life, as we have sensed His love and His pleasure in us, and we respond and we begin tending the intimacy of that relationship and we're growing with Him. Again, most of the time, sight unseen. It's a very spiritual encounter between us and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as we've been invited into relationship with them. In the middle of that process, then we become aware, "Hey, he has designed me to join him in his unfolding kingdom. I've got a special part to play, like nobody else. That's, again, God's initiative. He has placed that significant in us, we respond in obedience, and the fruitfulness begins to flow. May not be what you had expected not ever going to be under your control. We just respond in obedience and God begins to honor himself in our lives. (laughs) Let me show you an example or some teaching of Jesus on this concept of fruitfulness in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Listen for that little description there more fruit or much fruit. It recurs. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I want to make about five points out of that to you, show you a couple of images out of the Old Testament that will, will add further support, and we're going to wrap this cycle of grace up. Out of John chapter 15, first of all, I want you to see that fruit bearing is not optional. It's not like we get to decide uh, 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 to, to pick and choose out of this cycle of grace and say, well, yeah, I like that acceptance thing, and I might even be willing to, you know, invest a little energy in, in the relationship with him, and ooh, that significance thing sounds kind of cool. But I don't know if I'm all in on this bearing of fruit, especially if it's unexpected and I'm not in control of how that looks. It's not really optional. It's it's who we are. As we tend our being in Him, the doing is naturally going to flow. If it's not happening, something's not working right. It's inevitable that we're going to be fruitful Secondly, I want you to see that we should expect pruning for maximum production. It seems that plants have a tendency to invest resources into growth that never going to produce any fruit. Jesus uses that image to say, hey, look, even us, we're going to need some occasional pruning that we are going to allow things to develop in our lives that are going to consume resources about who we are, going to consume energies and and passions and, and effort. But if it's not going to produce kingdom fruit, Jesus says once in a while the vine dresser is coming in and he's going to lop some of that off. We should be expecting that. We should be watching that. We should welcome that may m- 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 may sometimes be um, uh, perceived by us as loss when the Lord comes in and says, hey, you're investing a lot of time and energy into that and it's not producing anything for what I've designed you for. We need to let that go. It's not even necessarily a bad thing. It's just, it's just an allocation of resources that you don't really have place for in your life, we need to let that go. It's just dead space. Pruning will happen for maximum production because when we, when we embrace that, when we receive that from the Father, then more fruit can be born. Fruit-bearing third, I want you to see, requires connection to the vine. Between verses 4 and 7, you can look at this later and, and fact check me if you'd like to. The word abide occurs seven times. This whole notion of fruit bearing, if it's going to work the way it's supposed to, we are going to have to abide in the vine. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I know if I, uh, you say I'm out in my garden and I'm trying to get my tomato vines to stay inside the big hoops that I've got for them and sometimes I'm a little negligent to get out there in time and one of them's gone wild and I'm trying to get that tomato vine back in there to get it to stay where I want it to stay. If it snaps off, That's done. (laughs) Isn't no salvaging that branch. It it is not going to bear any fruit. I'll not see a tomato on that branch because it has to abide in the vine. Hopefully you're you're tracking with me now because what that ought to do is take us back to I gotta tend my being. I've got to be investing in the relationship. I've got to be regularly hanging out with Jesus. i got to be with Him. That that was what served as the foundation for all that was coming down the road and in and through the lives of the disciples was they were with Him. They were with Him. We need to be pursuing that same sort of concept today. You know, we've even got it better than they did. We, we, we don't always acknowledge that. But Jesus was only in one place at one time ever when he was here on this earth, right? He was confined to that human body. Now we have the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us can be with him all the time, anywhere, as much as we'd like. That's abiding. That's abiding. It's just a matter of of shutting down the racket. The noise, the commotion, the distractions. And just say, Father, I'm here. And you are the focus of my attention. I want to be with you. And just opening yourself up to that kind of interaction, that intimacy with him, to abide with him, to remain with him. And, and to rest there. That's the being component that will create the flow of doing. Sometimes we want to secure our being by doing. That's the flesh. No, start with the being, let the doing flow out of the being abide in him it's vital to fruit production there's no there's no fruit bearing without it apart from him we'll do nothing now we can give intellectual assent to that truth but I'm telling you what an awful lot of times our lives are saying we don't really believe that I got this Jesus I I, I, I got this it's you know, it's, it's not gonna work. It's gonna leave us with it's gonna leave us disillusioned and, and frustrated and empty and dry in our in our kingdom life. Abide in him. Maximum fruit. You know what it does? It makes the father look good. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. That's what we ought to be about. A reflection upon the Father that that makes him look good. Finally, maximum fruit reveals our legitimate disciple status. My Father is glorified by this, verse 8 said, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's how people are going to know. They're going to recognize. You know, I, I, I might be smart enough to tell the difference between an apple tree and a peach tree prior to fruit just by looking at the leaves. But once it's got fruit on it, I'll know the difference every time. I know the difference between an apple and a peach. I recognize a disciple of Jesus too by the fruit that's produced through their life. Sometimes it's fruit in terms of their impact on the lives of others. Sometimes it's fruit of personal transformation, fruit of the Spirit kind of things. Interesting thing about the fruit of the Spirit, consistent manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, you can't fake that. Not long term. That, that's coming from abiding. If there's an absence of the fruit of the Spirit, then, then we've got a breakdown in the flow of the life. If you'll read your Gospels, you'll find that fruit bearing over and over again was critical to identification of genuine followers of Jesus. Wheat and the tares, it was when. It was when they grew up and the wheat heads sprouted. All of a sudden, then they knew there was a problem because the tares and the wheat had different fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. It is his plan. It always has been. It's the imagery that's throughout God's word. I bet you'll remember this one, Psalm 1, 1 to 3, says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. When I have a sense that my leaves are withering and there's been an absence of fruit, I know something's not right. Something, Something is out of adjustment and needs tended. I've gotten distracted because fruit bearing should characterize us as followers of Jesus tending our intimate relationship with him. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says it this way, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by a stream. And he will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. You see, it'll, def- it'll defy explanation. You and I will defy explanation when everything is caving around us, the, the equivalent of a drought. Man, we're still green and bearing fruit because we've got our roots sunk into something that they're unaware of. Remember, I made the distinction of being is often private and unseen, tending your intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit but it's going to have undeniable impact on your experience of life. Oh, and the other beautiful thing about this is there, there is no... There is no it, this doesn't age out. This doesn't age out. Psalm 92, the righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They will be full of sap and very green. (sighs) Didn't age out. Still going to yield fruit in old age, full of sap and very green. Sometimes, you know, our culture is horribly guilty of letting followers of Jesus believe the lie that you've aged out and there's no place of contribution any longer. Sorry. Sorry we've allowed you to to believe that. According to this, this fruitfulness is continuing and will go on, and you ought to be experiencing, you ought to be sappy as ever (laughs) and very green, Because that's what a tended, intimate, abiding relationship with Jesus is going to produce in you. It never ages out. This should be the normal experience for us as followers of Jesus, engaged in a cycle of grace where we are fully aware of God's acceptance of us in Jesus Christ because of what Christ has done for us. We know we are loved, we are called, we are chosen, we are His, and we respond to that invitation to develop a relationship with Him. We sustain it through our efforts. We sustain that relationship. It flourishes. As a result, we come to be aware that, hey, he's inviting us to special contribution in his kingdom in the here and now. We get to cooperate in what it is that God's doing in this world today. We get a part in that. We have a stake to play Every single one of us, the kingdom will be lacking if we aren't engaged. And then, oh, the unexpected flow of fruit that will come through us. We don't need to worry about what it looks like compared to somebody else's because it's what He is producing for us. And it'll never stop. There will always be a place for His grace to show up and manifest through us until finally, mission accomplished on this earth And we get to go home. Amen? Amen. Amen. Cycle of grace, folks. I hope it is freeing and liberating and exciting and encouraging to you. It's who we are in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for this time to share, to wrap up this series. Thank you for the beauty in your word and, and how it shows us clearly. Oh, how you want to use us in the here and now. Father, I know there's some folks who are fully engaged. I know there are some who just didn't realize they had a place. Lord, wherever we're at, meet us there. Take us another step further into the experience of your beautiful grace that we find in Jesus. Thanks, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name and amen.